Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for March 13th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of news, including Game of Thrones, Wolverine, Jeff Goldblum, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Alex Garland, Star Wars, Fantastic Beasts. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta, and joining me on today's podcast is senior writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And writer Y. Tran Bui. Hey, everyone. Okay, guys, uh, all we have is news for today, so um, so let, let's get into it. Uh, first up, let's talk Game of Thrones. Uh, HBO apparently will spare no expense for these uh, H, uh, these uh, Game of Thrones spinoff shows. Uh, what have the executives told us about that and the finale of this uh, Game of Thrones series, Ben? Yeah, so uh, I'll answer those in, in those questions in two parts. So in terms of the spinoffs and prequel shows, what HBO are referring to as successor shows to the fantasy series Game of Thrones, uh, the budgets for those shows are going to be really, really high right out of the gate. Uh, the original Game of Thrones show, the one that's still currently airing, it started with about an average of $6 million an episode. Um and now uh, going into the final season, each episode is going to cost $15 million. So, I mean, they have really put their money where their mouth is in terms of creating this, you know, really excessive uh, 
massive world of Westeros. And so go, you, you might think that HBO would be interested in sort of pulling things back a little bit, starting all these new shows that they have in the works. But no, that's not true. The executives have said that 50 million per season would never fly for what we're trying to do. We're going big. So we still don't know exactly what those spinoffs are. Uh, we have some guesses that we've we've written about uh, on the site before. You can find that in the show notes as well. But um, yeah, right now there are between three and five shows sort of in development. We don't know exactly how many HBO is going to choose and, and ultimately greenlight, but we do know that they are, uh, <laughs> I mean, a $50 million plus for a, a season is uh, is pretty hefty. So um, you can well, expect yeah. the same level of, of quality, I guess, in, in terms of the spectacle. So Game of Thrones, the average episode costs about $6 million, and there's how many episodes in a season? Like, well, there's there previously traditionally were 10 episodes in a season. Um, but as the show has gotten closer to its uh, finale, it is going to be um, dropping some episodes. So I think the season seven was seven episodes and then season eight, which is going to be the final one, is only going to be uh, six episodes. Um, and then also in terms of that, yeah, there your care your favorite characters in the show might die. Uh, that same executive from HBO was mentioning that um the final table reads for the the show's final season were a very powerful moment for all of them. She said none of the cast had received the scripts prior and one by one, they started to fall down to their deaths. By the end of the last few words on the final script, the tears just started falling down. Then there was applause that lasted for 15 minutes. So um, (laughs) apparently the cast really enjoyed uh, the final scripts. And I I mean, it's not surprising to find out that basically everyone could die uh, in game of Thrones because that's sort of what they've been doing um, throughout the whole length of the show and and increasingly so in the most recent seasons now i know i've joked about this in the past and everybody's joked about this that you know everybody's gonna die in this final season of game of thrones do you think there's actually any chance in that last episode that like everybody except for one person will actually be dead that we know of um I think a considerable number of people are going to go down. And I speculate in this piece that the the most surprising thing the show could actually do would be to kill off one of the main characters, which would be Daenerys or Jon Snow, because uh, the audience essentially thinks those characters are untouchable right now because of all the stuff that they've been through. And if they did kill one of them off in that last season, it would be a really, really cool symmetry with the first season of the show, which killed off Sean Bean's character, Ned Stark when he was seemingly set up as the protagonist of the entire series. So um, that would be really cool if one of those main people ended up going down. Uh, and that, and now, yeah, I think there are probably only going to be, you know, three or four people left standing when yeah. the dust settles. Now, would that happen in the last episode or the next to last episode where you say the cool <laughs> stuff happens? Yeah, I would think the next to last. But uh, I don't know. This is the first time Game of Thrones will have a six episode season. So it'll be interesting to see how they uh, switch things up structurally like that. HT, do you watch Game of Thrones? Oh, well, not anymore, but uh, oh, I do read to. the books. Yes, I used to. I'm pretty sure that's um, – I've spoken about that before. Although I know that George R. R. Martin, in his, um, when he's talked about the last book, A Dream of Spring, he said that he dreamt that the ending of the book would just be uh, a basically a battlefield of skeletons with either like ashes <laughs> or snow – falling upon it so i get the feeling that it's probably right that everyone will die i'm actually on the board on board with daenerys and Jon snow will die uh and daenerys will be killed by Jon snow as part of the azor ahai um theory the whole like prophecy that he is azor ahai and he has to kill um the person that he loves in order to like 
forge the sword that will kill the the White Walkers. That's right. Yeah, I think that's the prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> now, if the show ends with a flash forward a generation beyond, uh, you know, the the series, and everybody is dead that we know of, does does that qualify to to meet our uh, prediction that everyone's going to die? <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, I guess I'll give that one to you, Peter. Sure, yeah. Okay. Uh, anyways, let's move on. Uh, previously, we talked about Marvel is getting into podcasting. You know, there's been those kind of like true crime series like Serial and Dear John uh, kind of narratives that have, you know, attracted uh, millions of listeners. Uh, and Marvel is trying to capture some of that crowd with their own narrative podcast uh, based on Wolverine. uh, And that is now online. You wrote about it for the site, HD. What do we know? So the new Marvel's first scripted podcast is called Wolverine the Long Night. And it's a true crime podcast in the vein of Serial and S-Town and kind of a, a dash of the experimental thriller Homecoming. And it's actually, I was skeptical when I first heard that Marvel was getting into the a podcast uh, genre, but it's actually quite moody and atmospheric, and it plays more like an audio play than just the typical true crime podcast. And it follows the story of two um, special agents who are investigating a series of brutal murders in rural Alaska, and uh, they find that these bodies have been massacred and have been sliced and uh, beheaded in a lot of really gruesome ways. And uh, it coincides with the arrival of a loner named Logan at this rural Alaskan town. So signs point to him, but then there are plenty of other sort of twists that and turns that pick up in this story, including a cult, a local sheriff who seems incredibly uh, determined to put the agents out of his town, and other uh, strange happenings going on in this small town. And um, Wolverine is played by Richard Armitage. He actually doesn't appear in the first episode until, I think, the last few minutes, and he only has one line, but it has this sort of grand um, mystery that goes about with him. So it's it's the first episode is available on Stitcher for free right now, and it's going to be a ten episode scripted series. Um, and you listened to, to that that first episode, I assume. I, I listened to a little bit of the first episode, but it's incredibly so, um, compelling. Is it more like when they first announced this? I was like, how are they going to do this? Is this going to be structured in like how Serial and S Town with like someone investigating and them like providing interview segments and stuff like that, which seems weird to me to do that mm-hmm. with Marvel? Or is it more of a radio play? It's more like a radio play. It has all the different characters being voiced by different people. Um, and it has it's kind of told from the point of view of the special agents. But for the most part, it's not really in the same vein as serial as in like just one person kind of telling the story and giving like a bunch of interviews it's more just like narrated and more traditionally like a radio play like you said it's interesting because you know they're releasing this as a podcast but uh uh i think i mentioned yesterday i'm a subscriber on audible and i listen to a lot of audiobooks and uh some of the best audiobooks the harry potter audiobooks uh i'm I'm just started the star wars the last uh jedi uh novelization audiobook and a lot of those almost play out like radio plays i mean it is one person doing all the voices but there's sound effects there's uh score there's you you know it, it is uh you know, more than just a reading of the book. Uh, so it's interesting that they're releasing this as a podcast and not an audiobook. Uh, but I guess it's getting them a lot of, uh, you know, coverage uh, online. 
Now, Ben, I know you've talked in the past about listening to a podcast uh, about Hollywood, which does a similar thing with uh, kind of reenacting and t- telling a story with uh, in in kind of a radio play type mm-hmm. fashion. It, it would this uh, podcast interest you? Yeah, absolutely. And I uh, went to Apple Podcasts to try to download it, but I don't think it's available yet. I, from what I understand, they're doing like an exclusive window with um, either Stitcher or Spotify, whichever one HT said it was on uh, already. It's Stitcher. Yeah, Stitcher. Um, and then I think they're, the whole thing is going to come to Apple Podcasts later on. I just don't mess with Stitcher. I have never uh, ha- had a need for it. And I don't plan on like getting a whole nother app just to listen to this one show. I'll just wait. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very interested in it. And I do love that kind of um, old school storytelling style. So uh, I'm looking forward to sort of diving into the atmospherics of this thing. Me too. Uh, anyways, let's move on uh, to Jeff Goldblum. Uh, he's been doing some press lately, and he uh, says that he wants to see a Marvel standalone movie that brings together the Grandmaster, his character from Thor Ragnarok, and the Collector, uh, Benicio Del Toro's character from the Guardians of the Galaxy series, in their own spinoff movie. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, so um, the Toronto Sun was speaking was speaking with uh, Jeff Goldblum for the DVD uh, home video release of Thor Ragnarok, and they asked him which Marvel character he'd like to see the Grandmaster meet up with in the future, because that character uh, survives the end of Thor Ragnarok. And Goldblum said uh, that he would love to work with Kate Blanchett in some capacity. He only, I guess, overlapped with her uh, for one day of shooting during Thor Ragnarok. But then he also said, um, but in the comic books, the character of the Grandmaster is the brother of the Collector played by Benicio del Toro who I adore so I would enjoy doing something with him that would be fun and this is one of those like you know pretty fluffy stories of just an actor spitballing there's no plans in the works that we know of for this to actually happen but the odds are that it actually could happen these two characters could very you know conceivably uh, appear maybe not in their their own spin-off film devoted just to them but definitely they could team up uh, in some sort of feature movie because we know that in phase four of Marvel's cinematic universe, we're going to be seeing a lot more cosmic offerings in the years to come. And both of those characters are very much cosmic characters. So uh, the idea that they could team up to either, I I don't know. I mean, I have no idea what you would have them do. Um, I mean, I would love to see them like solving mysteries or some ridiculous thing like that. (laughs) But uh, just because those characters are both so crazy and I feel like they would play very well off each other. Goldblum being, you know, just Jeff Goldblum in costume and Benicio Del Toro like (laughs) mumbling around and being all weird as the collector. So uh, I I would love to see those guys do just about anything together. I I mean, it does seem weird that they have, you know, cast these amazing actors in these in these roles who are related and we have not seen them share a frame of screen together uh there is a painting at uh, guardians galaxy mission breakout the attraction in disney california adventure theme park uh, which i think you used as the header image of your story and it shows them kind of like playing a card game together um Mm -hmm. uh and that was created by uh um Marvel's head of uh, visual development, uh, Andy Parks, I believe, or Ryan. Ryan, or was it Ryan M. Something? Yeah, meandering Ryan M. or something. Yes, uh, yes, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, it it seems obvious to have them together at some point. Like, and uh, I'm actually surprised it's not going to be in Infinity War. But we have not heard anything about those those actors appearing in Infinity War. But you'd think, you know, if people were after Infinity Gems and stuff like those kind of guys would probably have some idea of where they are or mm-hmm. 
I mean, Collector even has one, right? So uh, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. But I would love to see them in in. I'm not sure if they, if I if I can imagine them starring in a movie together, right? <laughs> Grandmaster and Collector movie where you're, they're out solving crimes like you, like you suggested. I, I would watch that. I would actually. If they should do anything, they should revive the Marvel shorts and just have a series of shorts of just the Grandmaster and the Collector just shooting the shit and doing <laughs> crazy things. I really wish they'd bring back those short films. I I, I remember talking to Kevin Feige a while back. Uh, you know, not in an interview capacity, so I haven't published this on the site, but he basically told me that the only re- re- way they were doing them as were for promotion for the home video release, and they cost so much to do. So they were kind of, um, I don't know, it, it's kind of weird because, you know, a company like Pixar or Walt Disney Animation is able to put these shorts in front of their feature films and uh, somehow make th- that a business because it's, you know, research and development for their next film. Like, you know, they're mm-hmm. developing technology. Uh, you know, if they need snow in their next film, they're making a film about snow here so that will help, you know, their next film. But uh, Marvel hasn't found a way to make that work. But I would I would love to see short films with both of them. I'd love to see a film with um, uh, what's his name in Ant-Man, uh, his best friend, uh, Played by oh, Michael, oh, Michael, Michael Pena. Pena. Yes. Pena character. <laughs> yes. I want to see a short film with him. I, I don't know. It's just so many little characters. I, 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 I know this is like high dreams because I feel like Marvel movies and television are so uh, there's a gigantic divide and they're not connected at all. Uh, even though Jeff Globe tells us it's all connected. Um, <laughs> I would love to see this Disney streaming service bring us like a platform where, where every week we get like a half an hour episode, which you know, focuses on like one of these kind of characters, like, or maybe even you know, it's a streaming service. It doesn't have to be a half an hour episode. Every week it could be a fifteen minute short film. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, uh, obviously Disney knows what's going to make them money, and it's probably not going to be releasing short films with Jeff Goldblum every week. So, uh, <laughs> as amazing as that would be, <laughs> yes. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Fox is itching to uh, make a revival of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, but not without Joss Whedon. What do we know, HD? So Fox TV group chair Gary Newman has said that the group has been eyeing Buffy the Vampire Slayer as its next potential reboot, um, saying that it's probably the show most ripe for bringing back, but they wouldn't do it without creator Joss Whedon. So I quote, it's something we talk about frequently, and Joss Whedon is really one of the greatest creators we ever worked with. When Joss decides it's time, we'll do it. And until Joss decides it's time, it won't happen. So it's basically up to Joss Whedon, who is probably moved on to other projects by now and has sort of waffled on whether he wants to to see a Buffy reboot in his time. Uh, Back in 2010, when there was talk about a Buffy uh, film reboot, he said that he always hoped that Buffy would live on in his after his death, but you know, after. Uh, but recently, after the 20th anniversary of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, he talked about how uh, it's pro- everything finds its way of coming back. So he would be happy to see to people. He, he said in so many words, he would probably be happy to see Buffy the Vampire Slayer come back. But it wouldn't be without some complication because they've been continuing this story in the comic books for some time now. I haven't read any of those comic books, but uh, they would probably have to integrate all that into the the canon of a, a new show, right? They have. And it's been more than 15 years since the finale of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, so it would be a completely different premise, too. Buffy the Vampire Slayer started off as um, the sort of gimmicky horror is hell, uh, horror is hell, high school is hell, uh, 
allegory and it had her de- battling her demons, which stood for the demons that students wrestle with. And it was kind of a coming of age show. So the new Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if it's a revival and bringing back the original cast, would be about something completely different. And the comics, yeah, they continued past, I think it's like season 11 now, and they continued past the, the seventh season finale. So it would probably have to integrate it in or maybe do something that like the Star Wars expanded universe did and just like base the stories off of the comic books, which I kind of hope they do because the comic books are like bonkers. But uh, I kind of just hope that they leave Buffy the Vampire Slayer be because it had a really beautiful uh, season seven finale or series finale during its seventh season uh, that really spoke to sort of sharing the power and bringing down that chosen one mythology. So I just kind of hope they don't touch Buffy and I hope Joss Whedon just kind of stays like saying like, oh, I think Buffy can be left six feet under, not resurrected. I mean, do you think someone like Joss Whedon, obviously, you know, he loves that he has fans of his work and he has some hardcore uh, diehard fans of his work. But like, I feel like if I was him, I would just like want to move on to like different stuff. And my fans are just like, we want more Firefly. We want more Buffy. And it's like, how many ways can I say I I want, you know, I'm moving past that. That was, you know, my life 20 years ago. Um, Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like he he made Serenity as a way of ending his Firefly series and people still want it to return. And I think at this point he's done with making like either adaptations or things that are like he's familiar with and he wants to do smaller projects, especially after working with Marvel for so long. So I don't see him coming back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer, despite the special place it holds in like his heart and pop culture in general's heart. And and things have changed quite a bit since, you know, Buffy was on there. I'm wondering, you know, we now live in uh, a world of cinematic universes. Could we ever see the day where we have a Buffy Firefly crossover (laughs) film? No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, that would be a crazy fan film, I think. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm partially joking because I can't even imagine how that would work. Like, I, I can yeah, imagine like how. Nathan Billion shows up in both shows as different characters. Yeah. Like, I can imagine 21 Jump Street and Men in Black. That makes sense to me somehow. But uh, <laughs> Buffy and Firefly, I just. I, I can't what they have to come to earth it, it takes place in the future it, now it doesn't make yeah. any sense makes no sense whatsoever okay next up let's talk about alex garland's fx tv series this is the guy that did ex machina and annihilation and he is coming to tv ben you wrote up with this for the site what is devs Yes, so uh, we know that FX has officially commissioned a pilot for Devs, which is a new tech thriller series that Alex Garland wrote and will direct. The description of the show, in Devs, a young computer engineer, Lily, investigates the secret uh, development division of her employer, a cutting-edge tech company based in San Francisco, which she believes is behind the disappearance of her boyfriend. So that's a pretty simple logline uh alex garland however does not make simple movies he is a very um cerebral guy and we do know that this project is going to be um it's going to have a lot more in common with never let me go which he wrote or as you mentioned peter x machina than with the more like hallucinogenic annihilation which is a a very very different kind of movie but um i'm definitely getting a a little bit of an x machina vibe from that uh description because of the tech company and ex machina started out with um oscar isaac's character as essentially like the mark zuckerberg of a big facebook-esque tech company um and you know this does sound like sort of like a down the middle pretty simple 
concept, um, a woman investigating this secretive division because her boyfriend is gone. But with Alex Garland involved, I have to imagine it's going to be more um, cerebral and interesting than even that that uh, description, which is already interesting, uh, already sounds. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this kind of plot done a lot of times in movies with you know tech companies kind of being the big evil uh, corporate bad guys um i'm wondering if this takes place in modern day or some some kind of future where uh you know our overlords at google or amazon have a much bigger control of what we do and see and how we live Um, i think i can answer that question uh in uh an interview with fandango uh recently i think around the time that annihilation came out like last month or so garland said uh, this is slightly more in common with projects I've had, I've worked on like Ex Machina or Never Let Me Go, which are taking something about our world now, not our world in the future, but our world as it is right now, and then drawing sort of inferences and conclusions from it. So I guess that doesn't fully answer the question of whether or not it's set in the future, but it definitely seems to be drawn from uh, what we have going on right now. Yeah. It's interesting because th- this TV series could almost be an episode of Black Mirror, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyways, let's move on to Star Wars The Last Jedi. It is now on home video. You can get it now on uh, iTunes or any of your uh, you know VOD services. Uh, but if you do, there is a special way to watch this movie. HT, what do we know? So there is a special music-only cut of Star Wars The Last Jedi that features no dialogue, no sound effects, no backgrounds, and nothing but John Williams' score playing. Uh, Ryan Johnson talked about it in his interview with Amazon Prime. And the way that you access it is you download the Movies Anywhere app, and you have to download the digital copy of the film through that app. Yeah. If you have like an Apple TV, I think you can download music, uh, movies anywhere and you connect all your services. So if you buy this movie on Amazon or iTunes, it will appear in your movies anywhere app. And through that, you can access this uh, uh, music only cut of the film. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys I'm, I'm interested. Have either, either of you ever watched a music only tr- tr- uh, version of a film? I don't think no, I have. I... Not of a modern film, at least. Um, I can't recall what, but I remember uh, there was a, a couple DVDs that offered this option uh, back in the, the heyday of, you know, DVD special features because they were like, what else can we throw in there? OK, a music only track. Um, and it, when I was kind of uh, studying uh, to be a screenwriter and a, a director before I got into uh you know, slash film, uh, I would often, you know, my instructors told me to watch movies with the sound on mute and to just see the visual storytelling at play and uh, to, to note, you know, how effective or non-effective, uh, you know, the visual storytelling is. Uh, and I think that is one of the best tips I ever got uh, when I was, you know, studying film. It's something that I think a lot of budding uh, filmmakers out there could could learn something from. So I'm, I'm excited to actually see this and take it in because there's also so many parts of this movie that – John Williams score is going through but like you know the the sound effects and the 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 uh dialogue is just overtaking it. Mm-hmm. Um Ben, is this something that you would uh seek out? Yeah, I think so because I tend to listen to film scores when I'm writing. Um I can't listen to 
anything with actual lyrics in it because I can't concentrate on like writing words while also hearing words. I don't know. I, some people can handle that, but I just, I can't do it. And I know that like, um, you know, Brad Omen, who's often on this podcast will be like watching movies throughout the day as he's working. And I just can't do that because there's something about that separation that I, I just get sucked into <laughs> watching a movie. And if anybody's talking and all that kind of stuff, I just really get sucked into the dialogue and I can't uh, dis- differentiate the two. So uh, the idea, of having the movie on in the background with just the music playing would be perfect because occasionally I could just look up and see what's going on, but I wouldn't have to be uh, as distracted as I would be otherwise. (laughs) Okay, uh, let's move on to Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, the second movie in the Fantastic Beasts uh, franchise. The trailer is now online. You can watch it on SlashFilm.com. I I thought we would uh, do a reaction of this trailer. Um, I'll I'll start this off. Um, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of the first Fantastic Beast. I love that they kind of bring, brought the wizarding world to, um, you know, a new location to New York City. Um, and we got to see a wizarding world outside of London. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the magic of Harry Potter was not in that film. And, you know, I feel uh, something was missing. Uh, this trailer, I think, uh, it seems very obvious to me that they're like, oh, we need to address those concerns of the, the fans and bring this back to a place that they know. And, you know, it, it, it starts off at Hogwarts and it start. you know, we introduced a uh, young Dumbledore who doesn't, you know, doesn't seem like uh, uh, studied uh, <laughs> the performance of old Dumbledore at all. But uh, I don't mind. Um, it, it does seem a little bit more magical and it seems to... Um, capture a little bit more of that nostalgia of the the Harry Potter franchise, um, but I'm still not sure. Like I I still don't know uh, where the series is going, and it's also weird that this trailer ends like like with this Harry Potter score that sounds like they're channeling the Avengers theme. Um, and I thought I was nuts when I first heard that, and I, I said that in our Slack channel. Everybody was like went and watched it, and they're, you're right, it does channel the Avengers theme. Um, but uh, HT, you wrote this whole a breakdown, a uh, frame-by-frame trailer breakdown of this trailer. What did you think of the trailer? I I liked it a lot, actually. It's much more action-packed, I think, than the um, than the entirety of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them is. Uh, and I think it kind of goes to what you're saying about the theme, the Harry Potter theme. It's much less wistful and much more sort of suspenseful and epic in a way. And I think that's what this trailer is going for. It's really uh, sort of gearing up for this huge war that will go on in the wizarding world uh, between Grindelwald's followers and the rest of the wizarding community, I think. And um, it feels a lot more epic in scale and global in scale because there's a lot more globe hopping going on going on, uh, especially now that it takes place in both London and Paris primarily. And we see a lot of, um, speaking of like that nostalgia, I actually didn't really feel the nostalgia. I kind of felt like, oh yeah, there's Hogwarts and that's nice. But I actually would prefer if it didn't, if this franchise didn't tap too deeply into nostalgia. I actually liked what the first film did with sort of expanding the world beyond what we know and love of Harry Potter and kind of going into these strange sort of corners. And here we see a little bit of that, but we see more sort of world building in terms of just like story that we know because we see Dumbledore, we see characters that we are familiar with, like um, uh, well, the this, the ancestors of characters are familiar with, like Letta Lestrange, for example. And it kind of builds into this whole like Harry Potter mythology and like 
going back and to investigate like how these family trees or like this, this whatever events happened in the Harry Potter community. So it feels more, I think, tied to the Harry Potter world, which I'm kind of like, I have mixed feelings about because I do I did like sort of the idea of the Fantastic Beasts franchise initially being about just like Newt on his adventures and traveling the world and it's more whimsical but here it's definitely a lot more serious and feels more like in line with the original Harry Potter series. Yeah, I also wanted to see more of that world, uh, you know, outside of London. Uh, ben, what what are your thoughts on this trailer? So I've never seen the original Fantastic Beast movies, uh, or I guess the the only one so far. Um, I watched all the Harry Potter films, but I've not seen Fantastic Beasts. I'm not a huge Eddie Redmayne fan, uh, but I did watch this trailer, and I think it looks pretty good. It's like the first movie felt uh, like it. Again, just going off the trailers because I haven't seen it, but it, it felt like it looked very cheap to me. And this one does not look cheap at all. It looks like they really um, upped the ante in terms of the production design and the the uh, special effects and everything. And I mean, it looks really great. Like there's a lot of super striking images in this that I did not see in the advertisements for <laughs> the first movie. So uh, I don't know. I, my opinion is pretty uh, <laughs> invalid because I have not seen the first film. But uh, but uh, Jude Law, I mean, it looks charming as hell and it looks like a, a great young Dumbledore. So maybe I love I'll his sort of this. like easy sensuality he has to this Dumbledore. I really like it. It's just kind of it's the part that steals the, sh- the uh, trailer for me just because I'm like, oh, he has it's it. It has like a mischievous, mischievous quality to it. Yeah. He's like rocking pleated pants. Yeah. It's <laughs> a stud. So, so if you hear this movie is actually good, Ben, will this be enough to get you to go back to watch the first film? Oh, God. Um, maybe. Maybe. I, I just know that there's not that bad. <sighs> it really. OK. All right. I'll, I'll believe you. Uh... <laughs> ben also has something against Johnny Depp. So. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's uh, the the reason that I hesitate, Peter, is because there are so many more Fantastic Beasts movies in the pipeline that even if this one is really great, in my mind, it'll be like a 50-50 thing. And I, I would like the odds to be uh, more in my favor before I like fully commit to a, a cinematic universe like this. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can subscribe to this podcast every day on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, all the popular podcast apps. Uh, You can find all the links to all the stories we mentioned today, including HT's uh, fantastic, fantastic piece, uh, The Crimes of Grindelwald, trailer breakdown in the show notes and on the site, SlashFilm.com. If you have questions, comments, concerns, uh, send it to Peter at SlashFilm.com. Please go rate and review, review this podcast on iTunes. Spread the word. Tell your friends. And we'll see you tomorrow.